0: Because, like i said even goal had a lot to do with the land desert, as our asset and the reason for coming back one second second. I'll
1: go for it i might have to keep this in the pod because it is so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen this is the first time we've had a phone call from a landline on seed stories you know that this is going to be an exciting show stay tuned
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: On the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Seed Stories. I have my pal Sanjay here from Landeed. Obviously, they just closed a massive new seed round, which is the point of the show. Landeed makes land transactions as easy and smooth as trading shares. And if you've ever been to a place like India or many places in the world, this is a very big problem. And we're going to hear all about it. We're going to hear all about this international man of mystery. Sanjay, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I did a little research on you and I know that you've lived in many different cities all over the world, everything from Monaco to Chicago. When you were a little kid in the sand growing up, did you say, I'm going to work at a hedge fund and then start a startup? What was the sort of foundation of getting you motivated to want to get into the startup world?
0: Yeah, I think speaking as a kid, I was really fucked up. That's the honest truth, right? Like a lot of Indian kids, Asian kids are really good at doing well on exams and school and things like that. I just like when education to me was reading whatever I wanted to read. And that's actually when parents would say, Hey, what the hell are you doing with these grades and that kind of thing? I would be like, if everybody read the same textbook, that's not really knowledge. Right. Everybody knows the same shit. It's like the stuff that you do outside of that because textbooks were anyway easy. And so. All that other stuff that I really thought were value-added, that was just an excuse. But the real truth is, I just did what I was interested in most of my life, and I have to say that my family supported me like during really stupid shit like that I did. I get (laughs) study for school all the time, and I understand I'm very privileged to have a family like that. I often say, I guess taking a line from Warren Buffett, I think somebody was saying that I really did hit the ovarian or the sperm lottery, being born in the family at the right place at the right time. And I've seen how the rest of the world lives in a lot of these places, Africa, India. And I can tell you, I am very lucky. And by the way,
1: you might've felt like that was an important thing to take advantage of. Like you sit here today after you get through your, I guess I would say ego-filled teen years and all you care about is yourself. You're like, geez, I had a really great pedestal to stand on. I should probably do something good with my life that like matters to the world
0: yeah i mean you reach that point so i'm a single parent i'm a mom and my i have a much younger brother so like that responsibility gets pushed onto you at a slightly younger age than most people and it's not something like oh hey from today onward you lead the household or something it's like things that you start to realize over time how selfish and when you realize you reach that point and that like i've seen my parents come from india to do whatever they want in us and i have a lot of respect For America, having so I know we have a lot of problems in America, but it's because a lot of Americans haven't really left America and lived in Mm -hmm. other places for extended periods of time to know how different and a special place U.S. And like one of the first realizations is like when I was growing up in India and I was born there. I was there till I was eight. My best friend would actually be my maid's son, and my family wouldn't actually let me leave the house a lot. It wasn't really safe, and we wouldn't go to other parts of the down and so forth. But one day I snuck out, I went and saw how we lived. And I still remember that image to my day, like in my head. And I'm like, this is how people live. And you could Mm -hmm. like, that prints into your head and you remember that, and you remember your own privileges and you can see it and the contrast. And I'm, I was a big history buff when I was younger. And one of the things I would realize is like a lot of people that, you know, were a catalyst for revolutions were basically people that you would call insiders, outsiders. They weren't really Mm -hmm. from the oppressed or the suppressed class. They had an understanding of what that class lived like, but they also had the privileges of seeing the other side of the world and the other part of the social spectrum. And so they knew how to navigate it to make sure that the changes that were required were brought forth. And a lot of what I see today and a lot of what I've seen in other countries is, and this is why also in America is a special place. Like over time, people wanna know how to quantify brain drain and why talent leaves. And essentially it boils down to a very simple thing. When any country largely, especially the middle class in that country, believes that who you know is more important than what you know, the really smart mm-hmm. people will leave that country. And that's what India sees. That's why you have so many successful Indians in America as well. Right.
1: Very well said. I was wondering why every major Fortune 50 company was being taken over by an Indian C. There's There's a lot of parts of your story that I want to dig into and a lot that res- resonate with me personally. I remember my dad was a teacher and professor in Palo Alto. And obviously I was growing up around Silicon Valley and I would go to my friend's houses and they would have seven Ferraris on a rotating garage. And yeah. I would come down to my dad's house and I'd be like in my parents' house and I'd be like, what is the shack? What happened here? <laughs> But we were also next to East Palo Alto. East Palo Alto, if you don't know, in the 80s was one of the murder capitals of California and it was rough and we were friends with and we were largely connected with that community through sports and activities and all that kind of right. stuff. And so it was always important to really recognize that there's this wide range and gap. And also the benefit of the US, which you experienced is, okay, if you're close to that proximity, if you're within cl- close range of that, sort of like magnitude of wealth, you can see it yeah. right in front of you. It's, oh, wow, I can aspire one day to actually achieve it. So yeah. was that the moment when you guys moved to the US when you started to really feel like, okay, I want to potentially become you know, sort of one of these magazine covers? You mentioned Warren Buffett, one of, one of those kinds of luminaries.
0: No, I would say a large part of the inspiration was really my parents. Honestly speaking, even my parents were very privileged in India when they were growing up. And a large part of one of the things that's really interesting is my mom had a lot more in India. She could have had a very comfortable life being a woman from a certain family at that point in time. But the reason that she decided to pursue her studies had nothing to do with improvement of economic status from India by moving to America. To the contrary, actually, she would she had a much lesser life in um in, is, in that old school? is that an old school phone over there? What yeah, you, is this, this is
1: like Wall Street. This, yeah. this,
0: I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but so for her, she saw her father pass away in front of her eyes from a heart attack. Care wasn't available. And so she really figured like that really had an impact on her. And so she decided that what she wanted to study was not available in India. So that's mm-hmm. actually, so she loved education. She was always really good. And she was the first like literate family member, properly educated inside my family. And so uh, the way that she taught my brother and I, like growing up was like money's cool and all sure. It's hard to hide it after some point, like parents can try to be fake humble. It just comes off wrong. But she set a good example by how she spends and how she leads her life that not everything is about money. Of course, you need it a certain extent. Beyond a certain threshold, though, it really does have decreasing utility, every additional dollar.
1: I want to get to the story about your mom because I think it's super germane to the land deed story. And yeah. I, I know that's a lot of the inspiration and she sounds like a, a wonderful woman. And I want to chat about that. Sure. But I do want to talk about your stint at a hedge fund. What, what made you wind up there and then eject out of it at a certain point?
0: Yeah, so... Look, so even that hedge fund, that wasn't the only hedge fund that I've gotten offers from at that point. I had received offers from management consulting firms, investment banks, and so on and so forth. Out of the worst, I realized fairly quickly that I wouldn't want to work at. So again, these are about options. If you don't have options, you don't have optionality and therefore you don't make choices. But given the options, I knew I definitely didn't want to work at a management consulting firm. I really don't have a lot of respect for them. I didn't at that point in time because I didn't feel like skin in the game was there. I knew because we'd been investing, I interned another hedge fund before. I knew from that standpoint that there's a lot of companies that have taken their advice and have gone bust, but the management gets the blame for it. But when something that they give advice for and it really blows up, I know they definitely take credit for it. Hmm. And I think people that really work there for extended periods of time start to lose sight of what skin in the game actually means and what incentives and alignment actually means for management. and People that are advisors and employees and all stakeholders involved. And the type of hedge fund that I ended up working in was an activist hedge fund, meaning that when companies, like for instance, right now in India, there's one, it's not like activism. There's a big issue going on between a fund called Hindenburg Research and Adani. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw this. Uh, yeah, and so that's good market mechanisms. The market, one thing you realize is you can be smarter than a lot of people, you can be smarter than a lot of systems governments even but no one is rarely ever smarter than the market right if ever over long periods of time market is fucking smart. It teaches <laughs> and in the startup world we just call it users right in the in a hedge fund world you call it the market like the trading market right And I really resonated with that mission and what they were trying to do. So over time a lot of these publicly traded companies that have existed for long periods of time no longer have founders or large shareholders or family members controlling them. And they become very management incentives driven structures. A lot of these shareholders like become fragmented, like in, in large banks, you'll have some funds that own 2%, 3% and they're the largest shareholder. And majority of them, whenever they do management or a committee votes for increasing compensations of manager or something like that, there really isn't enough resistance because a lot of these funds, especially ETFs are passive investors and mm-hmm. ETFs have become such a large part of the market now, and they don't want to vote one way or another. That's not their role. So a lot of these companies, and that you see that, you see the management getting extraordinarily high compensation relative to the average worker now, regardless of economic cycles. Basically, that's what we saw. And activism as a strategy is a great functioning mechanism for a lot of markets, particularly in the Western EU and US. And so I I really resonate with that mission. And actually that continues, that trend line continues in my career in whatever I did. There's a great moment, I think
1: happening now In the markets, which I think is just a general cleansing and and just right sizing of a lot of these companies, and it's not to say the stories of people getting laid off is not tragic. Like I understand, it hits everybody, but ultimately, these for-profit corporations have a desire to build a product and a service that a lot of customers want, and there's a certain size that should be. And in the last five years, things definitely became frothy and <laughs> over bloated and a lot of the short short investors the activist hedge funds are cleaning up a lot of that mess today and if the CEOs and executives of those companies don't get in line with fresher take on 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 building that business then it's dark days out there yeah i have to imagine that though there was a point when You were working within those four walls that you said, okay, this is really interesting, but I still want to produce something myself. How did you land on the idea of a trucking marketplace (laughs) platform with GoLaurie after being at a hedge fund?
0: Yeah, a lot of these things. So what had actually happened was, so we had land parcels in India and both my ancestral inherited and so on and so forth but my parents both of them doctors and had realized that like whenever they'd go to india they would look at these hospitals really large hospital chains as well that were developing around that time this was around the mid 1990s and so on and so forth and they were like man these hospitals are really run like factories Mm -hmm. there was no holistic care people it was just about maximizing revenue and throughput right like you were really shipping people off having five minute ten minute prescribing whatever drugs and going out And so both my parents wanted to go back to India and start a chain of hospitals. And so that's why they ended up purchasing additional land parcels. And then this was in the mid 1990s. And then my dad passed and I was a minor in 2000 and my mom like thought about this, trying to go to India, or try to secure land holdings. My dad had not a lot of knowledge about it. My dad's dad, my grandpa had a lot of knowledge about this. I was I was in middle school at this time, right? I had no idea about assets that we had in India. I didn't care. And so when my mom like, actually went there, there were just politicians and ministers that were working in the government that started encroaching on our lands. And these are large land parcels, right? These are, you're talking about 80, 90, 100 acres. These are like multiple football fields. And India was rapidly urbanizing which means these land parcels had almost VC like returns. That's what happens to land as well. A lot of people don't understand that about real estate. Like you can generate VC like returns by building and developing land parcels and things like that. It's just very hard to scale out, but each particular property when it grows has great returns. And once they found out my mom's a single parent living in US, a woman with two young boys that are minors, anybody would do what they do best. And I don't know, I guess you would say robber baron era in, in, in U S mm. around that time, people just start encroaching on our assets. They would never think that somebody that was in Europe, Monaco, or, you know, U S at that time would come back to India to take ownership of, of all of this. And so one of these days uh, this has happened. I re- never really cared. We always would hear that about the dining table. This person coming to take our land. We, my mom almost surrendered. Cause she loved her practice. She loved treating the parents. She didn't even care that much anymore. And she juxtaposes her relationship with the country that she was born in versus the country that she moved to and has given her everything in terms of her talent, meritocracy, like equal opportunity. These are things that we stress inside the company today. And that's what America gave to her education, letting a young woman come up the ranks, like even though she didn't do her undergrad year, these are all very important things that people don't realize. And so that's how she's like, she feels like she loses freedom when she goes back to her own country now, because now she's experienced a new world where she can live her own life, run her own business. And so that was that. And there was this one day she gives me a call and she's like, hey, she was like really sad. And she's like, hey, this person wants to come over and like they're taking over land. This is the site where we, dad and I first got this land parcel and all of that. This was a little bit more hard hitting than the usual conversations that we had before. So at this Mm -hmm. point in time in my life, I'd been professionally good at whatever I've done. I'm thinking on the shit and I'm like, I was sufficiently arrogant and uniquely naive about India. So that's what I would say. And so I thought I'm going to, I took a break from work. I'm going to go to India and solve this shit. And then I go there and I find out that it has nothing to do with meritocracy. Mm -hmm. It's brute force and will and grit and i don't know if this is what pg means when he says formidable but i can tell you it's probably a two notches or three notches above what he actually means about formidable but so i go there and i'm like oh my god like this my brains don't matter here and i realize two weeks is nearly not enough so i what i do is with the remaining land parcel i put them in a holding company uh, put up fencing security guards around it i go back to monaco and i'm getting calls every day from my security people saying, hey, this guy is trying to come in and set up an illegal meat shop, this and that. And then one day it struck me, I was like, I don't, when I went back to India, I also saw what my family had built in our village and our community, like the bridge, the water tank, the roads, the temples, the religious sites, all of these, when government wasn't doing it, usually they would say the large families in that area back in the day would do it. Like my family's name was etched everywhere. And I was like, okay, that, that was like, understanding of my roots and my legacy. But the second part about it is also what you learn in institutional trading, like not as a retail trader, like on Robinhood. And one of the first and important lessons that you learn as a trader is protect your downside and the upside will come on its own. Really? And knowing what I had in India and knowing the values of that now, it I made the trade of my life. I was like, I'm going to go back there and I have to quit this job because I cannot do this in another country. Because in India, especially if you have tangible assets, You cannot do remote work. So as the oldest son, single parent, I moved back and that's how I ended up. Simply put, the land and the assets that we had in India were substantial for me to make that trade and move back and also the legacy of my family.
1: You're a good son. Obviously the incentives were in place to make that happen, but obviously, but also difficult work. It sounds like you were able to stabilize that situation. And going back to the idea of this trucking marketplace with GoLaurie, where did you feel comfortable enough to you stabilized and protect your downside to come up with and build sort of your first
0: major startup? Yeah, Yeah, I went back and I don't know, like it would be issues after issues and like one of the things I it was just I don't, a lot of people ask me even my own family members, because there's a lot of family members we have in my generation. Majority of them have left India and I'm an American citizen that moved back to India. So I'm like one of the few people in my generation that's back here from my family. Right. And so they're like, why did you stick around this and that? And when I look, go back and think about it, a lot of it was just because I hated losing. I, the reason for me coming might be legacy and economic incentives, but I would have had great economic incentives had I c- continued in, in trading as well. But I, I'm saying that like, I, I realized I just can hate losing. I hated losing in the markets. I hated losing the people that did. I felt like exploitation was being done when people thought there was weakness. And I hated that feeling of being exploited. And I particularly hated the feeling all my life of losing. I wanted to win about win at whatever I cared about. And I think that's what I actually ended up sticking around for. Some people call it stubbornness, some people call it idiocy, whatever it is. But out of that came the understanding that one of the two best ways to protect land in India was either collateralize it to a state-owned bank, um, because yeah. in banks in India have government ownership in them, unlike US. So basically, if you collateralize it to them and get a loan, The public sector banks also are now on the hook if somebody tries to encroach on them, right? And the second way is to build something on it. And so I thought, okay, I bought additional land parcels. I said, look, we saw e-commerce taking off in China around that time, this is 2014, 15, that kind of era. And I was like, okay, it's gonna take off in India, not to the same extent. And one of the best ways to play on it is the logistics. I thought warehousing was really poor in India. So I wanted to build a chain of mechanized warehouses and that's how i bought the additional land parcels i said okay why not build a full stack 3pl company now put in packaging and trucking and labeling all of that in-house and so i then i bumped across trucking and i'm like holy shit, this thing's a much bigger problem than what warehousing is you cannot move goods like it's discovery was a problem everything and so i was like okay what if i tried to do like a uber type of shit for this thing and so i first leased trucks from my uncle's you're an idiot you came from America. You know nothing about trucking in India. It's all broker driven network. All of this. I don't want to give you my trucks. I'm like, great. <laughs> because you know what? Like nobody in India even knows what a hedge fund is. A lot of people don't, right? At that time. Maybe a little bit exposure. But so they're like, they don't know about how good you are at whatever you've done before. It's imagine a fresh start all over again. Like all they, all my family's ever seen me as this fucked up kid when I was young. And then I come back and they cannot. Like, like, let, let me run a trucking. Like, let me run a trucking company. yeah yeah this guy's an idiot he comes back from monaco and wants to run a trucking company in india so i said listen i'm just gonna lease out your trucks and i'm gonna i'm gonna scale up the business and so i ran it i just ran simple operations on a spreadsheet for a month or two two months lost money in the first month started making a little bit of money in the second month i said okay let's apply some tech and then i saw yc essays obviously things like like then you're thinking okay fine i'll who else is in there went to san francisco like on a blind i'm just gonna move there started going around raised my first round of investment from draper associates tim draper and and then i funny story of how like yc happened is there was this famous he's a billionaire now and there he really liked what i was doing and then he's but my son runs a funds go speak with him i don't want to name any names but sets up a meeting with me doesn't show up same day it's a club. Right, and I'm like calling him. Like I'm a amateur, right? I'm a novice at this point. I don't know anything about fundraising, and I find out VC world is very different than buy side, like hedge fund trading, New York, Wall Street type of thing. The first thought to my head is these VCs are lazy, compared to what <laughs> we were doing on the New York side type of running a hedge fund is very different. I think from a VC, pure play VC at that time, I'm saying. And then he sets up a second meeting. Finally picks up the phone call goes there and I go there and he doesn't show up again he's like, oh Sanjay I just left come to this hotel come meet me there I go to the hotel he's up in the lounge and you cannot access it unless you're a guest there or you're you have residences there and I knew he was up there because he told me but he wasn't picking up the phone so I was like Four Seasons Saint Regis Saint Regis. <laughs> so i go there and now i'm like trying to speak with this person to let me up i basically yeah. had to like flirt with this girl and ask her out I find my way into that lounge yeah. and that's actually how i ended up on the lounge floor and then i find the guy i go up to him and i'm like yo what's what's this he sits around he listens to my pitch he's got his four buddies around drinking or whatever and not really paying attention and finally go. Yeah. goes yeah, Sanjay, we love what you're doing. We really like this. Dad had great things to say about you. I know Tim's invested in, but we really only invest in Indian companies that have gone through YC. I, and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to apply to YC. By the way, going back to the theme of Sanjay, don't like to lose. <laughs> yeah. So now I make the joke to like younger founders like when they ask me about him. He, sure, he's a good investor. He did end up investing in me later, but at a much higher value. But
1: <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, Payback. Payback is yeah.
0: a bitch. So I often say, hey, this guy wanted me to go through YC, so I went through it twice. But <laughs> I, you and I
1: were in the same vintage era. I think it was called Sam Altman era, and yep. that sort of mid 2010s. In yeah. person, down in Mountain View, smaller batch sizes. We're like we sound like old guys. It was like I batches. used to be able to go to a movie theater for five cents. I walked up do a do mountain. I show the in the- dollars in my pocket. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think you're the first Indian entrepreneur to apply and get in twice, which is super yeah. awesome. And that's right. like the ecosystem in India is on fire. And I think there's a level of ambition there that like everyone is now finding out about that is like unprecedented and the tools and the products and now the caliber of entrepreneurs yourself included who are actually kind of like sticking around and yeah. like building at home, I yeah. think is super cool and it's a it's such a great wave in, in this time. And one of the things you talk about, I've heard you talk about a little bit is the Jedi Council, yeah. you know, building that Jedi Council over the years. like Between your last company and Galori and Landeed, you must have started collecting people. T- tell the listener and the viewer who's oftentimes a pre-seed founder, first-time founder, what, you're, what you think about ha- forming this Jedi Council.
0: Yeah. So Michael Siebel gave me this idea and michael's been like la- transformational for me as a founder and as an entrepreneur entrepreneur over time and as a ceo as well he's the one that came up with this idea and so one of the things that he we would talk about in office hours he'd be like hey man you're like really different as a founder because like i'd come to india they'd say i'm american i'd go to america they'd say i'm indian and i'm like what the fuck? i it's like identity crisis in a weird way and it's because you don't have exactly the people, you should form like-minded people wherever they are to help you out and with the company and in, in terms of just talking. And so that's actually been very helpful. Like one of the first suggestions he came up was like, Adora, I'll speak with her. She ran an online offline business and things like that. And it really was helpful. And it stuck with me. In the latest batch, one person that I really like understood had gone through that trials and tribulations of running a logistics company, all of that was Divya who was also my group partner was rickshaw and so she was the things that she was talking about was the same shit we were dealing with in trucking and it was like so weird like seeing the parallels but i think one of the things that i would say is preferably if you can as a pre-seed founder find somebody that's 12 to 18 months ahead of you maybe a seed founder if you're a pre-seed founder and you're speaking to a dude from series b series c you're talking yeah. like way out of zones, right? That doesn't yep. even matter right. Like we're talking about different things. There's like inbound, outbound motions for investments and employees. That's a totally different vibe.
1: Building an executive team. It's like, I can't even hire my friend. He won't even join the company.
0: That's what you're it. talking about. At, at pre-seed, yeah. right? He doesn't want to take yeah. a pay cut. He doesn't want to work for free. My and- best
1: friend. My, little, my best friend. Doesn't want to work with me, and you're talking to me about hiring some dude from Amazon. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's what that's what it that's what it's about, and because all the early conversations for pre seed founders end up defaulting to fundraising, and when every time you try to tell them it's not the money, like I keep using like ludicrous line, like money could be the problem, but money can't solve it. That song is great. Like he talks about which one is that. that's a it's good lyric, sounds yeah. like it is. I feel like I'm we're old, like
1: old enough to know ludicrous lyrics. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. This is the Gen Z kids on who are watching and listening are gonna be like, What is ludicrous? And <laughs> you guys are old. Yeah, um,
0: I get it. But I guess I'm the old school guy still. But but yeah, so like I, I would say and every time you double click on the fundraising problem, it has to do with how they're running the company. And the product,
1: and the and the product. I think you you nailed it, which is you could build a product in a month and get it out there, put a landing page out, and get users to test it, and put it on Hacker News and Product Hunt. There's nothing stopping you. Yep. And if you can't code, you you can find somebody who can. Go to meetups, go online, whatever it is. And everybody just should start working on projects. And then I always get the reaction of, well, I'm a deep tech founder. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. come up with the design of your your hydrogen fuel cell and create the smallest version of it in a lab by going to the local college and asking them for free lab space. Yeah, There's always a way around it. And I think it's it's important for pre-seed founders to hear that and the money will come. Similar yeah. to what you said earlier about if you de-risk your life, the upside will come. So I want to fast forward a little bit because your mom's story is harrowing, but it sounds like after a certain point, there was a part of you that wanted to correct the wrongs of the past. And where did that seed start to germinate into a real plant and a real flower of land deed where you are today?
0: Yeah. Like I said, even Golori had a lot to do with the land as the reason for coming back. One second. I'll just go
1: for it. I might have to keep this in the pod because it is so. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time we've had a phone call from a landline on Seed Stories, you know that this is going to be an exciting show. Stay tuned.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. I like transposed myself between worlds and times and at, like, at, <laughs> moving back between San Francisco and India.
1: No, I know. Plus, the landlines there are far more reliable than cell phones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's go back. Let me ask the question again. The story about your mom, a difficult one, especially with what happened to all the land and how you were able to fix that solution. But at a certain point you wanted to fix it on a larger scale. So tell me about where that idea for land deed came from a seed and started to germinate into a flower.
0: Yeah, like it actually came to the story that my mom was once in India and she was surrounded by like people from this politician forcing her to sign some paper to hand over the land. And all I've seen in my mom, like in India, I mean, in US was like strength and her leading her own practice. And I could not imagine like my mom being in that situation and i'm like so that's just how it goes and what i'd see in, in when i was uh, in my fund as well we'd see some russian companies acting a certain way like uh, the way they did their books and i'm not talking about this because of russia ukraine like stuff going on i'm yeah, talking about we'll get, like, way off. before people that know and it's not like russia is bad or good or whatever that's not the position uh, the point of the matter is a lot of companies there are run very badly so are the companies in, in India, corporate governance is just not a word. Right. And, but over time, what I've come to understand in a lot of these countries is that in order to change the system, you have to first become part of the system. You can't be the dude throwing stones at the glass house outside with a placard and being an activist. People look at you like oh, you're a loser because you couldn't <laughs> okay. do it. Like you're out there throwing stones and doing placards. And the thing is like, you realize that over time after traveling all these countries, capitalism is the best tool to solve majority of humanity's problems and i'm not talking about it like greed is good type of shit. i'm talking about it's okay for people to want more in their life because that is the first step in creating social mobility and i'm wondering to myself with all that i've been born with if i can't do what i'm supposed to be able to do in this world then who can so like that was the kind of thought process that really if it wasn't me, who else can? Yeah. I've been given everything. What how can I not be able to solve something? Like that was really, like I said, sufficiently arrogant and uniquely naive. And also <laughs> you don't realize the gravity of the opposition, like the scale and the magnitude and the strength of the opposition when you're doing it in a new country. And then I realized like when I didn't back down, things just bent to my way. Mm. Like they came around and the guy that was persistent that involved a lot of things i basically had to create my own private army right and it was like you reach a level you think you don't like a, something that's been done to you and you want to write that wrong and you reach that and you realize that shit doesn't mean anything anymore by the time you reach it because you you yeah. have a idea that you're about to get where you want to be and you before it happens and when that happens you realize that's not what i wanted like, i want something more now like uh-huh. You realize what you were going for was just a symptom, but not actually the real disease that you're trying to. So now that was my thing in India. It was just layers as you're peeling back and peeling back of things that are of greater meaning and significance just arose. And I guess you just have to rise up to the challenge. Very cool. So
1: from philosophy down to Tactics, what did the early days of Deed look like? When did you build the first site? When did you find the first set of customers?
0: Talk to me about the gritty early days. Yeah, so when I probably would have done Deed first if the, like the stack was available from the government. So right now we use a lot of publicly available and digitized records and sources to be able to do what we do today. But when I came here in 2014, 15, that didn't exist. Like I could not build what I'm building today back then it was impossible and I hadn't even known that these things came about right so I've just once you get used to a certain way that's working you brute force like I found out brute force is a way to solve it in India and that's what I kept on doing it without caring because I was running a startup that was in trucking and I was like dying running that shit so like I didn't want to focus anything to do with my family stuff Um, just security was good enough I didn't want to develop it or anything and uh, when what actually happened was i came back to us to raise the next round for go and it's been a while since i've come back because of COVID. and some dude from the city called chennai calls me my name like he also owns an opposing land parcel. so we've been talking for some time about doing a joint development and he wanted to do it and blah 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 and it didn't work out but we remained friends He's, hey sanjay did you sell your land to someone what's up and i'm like he looks like somebody bought it without your permission he sends me a picture of somebody having just Mm. erected a legal meat shop. I don't know, I guess illegal comes with it. Like without my permission, they just started opening up a retail storefront on my property. (laughs) Yeah, no, no joke, this happens, right? What I had done when I came back to India was like put up a city head to manage all the land parts in particular cities. I would pay him and he would pay the security guards. So the security guards are usually blue collar workers. And during COVID, all of them ran back to their village in India. And now I didn't know this. this guy kept on taking money without paying the security guards. The security guard had run off to his village. Now I'm unable to reach my city head because he knows what he's done. Um, He's been taking money without paying the security guards. And so he stops responding and then next thing you know this guy's selling like lamb chicken pork doing great business on my land (laughs) right great thing and he was trying to expand into fresh fruit and vegetables at this point i was like great one thing it does do is save me paying money from paying jll or cbre so we don't need to do viability analysis on what to build here. We know this business is doing great, but I go there. I'm like, yo, dude, what are you doing? I run back to the city with my security. He goes, no, sir. I'm just a local trying to make a living here. And that's all. If you pay me some money, I will leave. I was like, okay, this is my land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if I, early on in India, I would just be like, what the fuck? Get the hell out of here. I'll, like now. And I'm like, okay, listen you leave, you take your shop down and you leave and you sit down with me and I will give you something. I will consider that social service or community. Yep. If you have your stuff on my piece of land and you start negotiating with me, I consider that extortion. Either you get rid of it or I'll bulldoze you in 48 hours. And on the 42nd hour, I bulldozed him
1: Mm
0: -hmm. in the middle of the night and put up security. And he brought in a big like gang of people, sent my people, and then he called the police when he figured out that he can't bully people or bully me. And then the police come over and the police in India are very localized. So it's like a rule because a politician wants to maintain his constituency. And like, they're the equivalent of our house of reps or senators. And these yeah. are like, Hey man, like, what are you doing? Going around bulldozing people's shops and stores. And I'm like, what store He's like, what? I'm like, what store? I don't see any store because I know which way he's gonna (laughs) look. The smoking gun, yeah. He's like, Do you have any evidence? He's like, You guys are trying to act smart with me. We know you don't, you bulldoze it and all of that. You're not admitting. And I'm like, Listen, anyway, forget all of this. You don't have evidence, move on. Finally, his senior comes in, he brings together an entire requisition list of documents. He's like, How do we know even you're an owner of the land? And he was asking me, and so I pull out my sales deed, I show him the document. Here you go. He goes, This is not enough, like, you need an entire list of documents i go to my lawyer who has been in the city i'm like what's going on and he tells me that india has something called presumptive ownership basically when you have a deed in like us you would consider that's your document for ownership in india a sales deed is nothing but a record of two parties having engaged in a transaction it does not confer onto you automatically and the reason for this is in countries like us where you have title insurance uk singapore you have something called conclusive titling where in every transaction When a buyer sells, when a seller sells a property, the government verifies that the seller is actually the owner of the property and the purchaser is actually the financier. And so at the end of the transaction, the government gives a single title deed or whoever gives a single title deed to the purchaser. In India, it's presumptive ownership, meaning the government takes no responsibility for verifying the ownership of the property. It's incumbent upon the purchaser to do the due diligence whether the seller is actually the owner of the property or not. And because the government doesn't take any responsibility, there is no single title deed. So you have to use a collection of documents to ascertain the strength and validity of your ownership over property, right? And I'm like, where the hell am I supposed to get all these documents? And I was like, one is not enough. And I started looking around, it was incredibly hard. I had to employ three people running around government offices for two weeks to be able to get that. And so the first thing was like, we just built a very simple, like this, gotta be technology way to solve this. And then we realized the government had opened up records and we built a really scrappy version of an app where you put a property identifier number and people are able to pull up a government document showing that the alternative to this would have been me like running around government offices and these government offices, I don't know how to describe it to Americans. Let's say going to the DMV every day but mm. multiple DMVs. That's the way I can only think of. It sounds it's, awesome. It's a really bad <laughs> experience. And so that's when we started building it out. And next thing you know, things just started like blowing up. People started sharing it with each other, property documents. I think in a little less than about three or four months, we started having 100,000 plus installs. Like we didn't expect it. And so if you actually see the first states, it had nothing to do with which state had the most property transactions or the highest value, which is like Mumbai or Delhi. It was literally states where I had land because it was my own problem and I knew it well.
1: So um,
0: that's how it kind of came about.
1: We, we're running out of time here and I want to make sure that we cover two more things that I think are really yeah. important is number one is in, a, in as briefly as you can, what did you do differently in this fundraise for your seed round than you did
0: in the last one around tactically speaking? Not much differently except to say that I, I, yeah, I look, I think, People think about fundraising today, like as a function of something that you've done great or not. I don't think like I'm a lot better in many ways as a founder, but I don't think I'm necessarily less hungrier or more hungrier than I was before. I still mm-hmm. want to think I'm even more driven in this startup than before. And maybe the nature of the problem and is very important to a lot of investors but i think one thing that i would say that gave me a lot of confidence and maybe that came out without me even realizing is that i knew i had my two co-founders with me through thick and thin Mm -hmm. through two startups i think it's hard enough for co-founders to stick together after they had a great exit and start another one but i think it's especially important to know that the people that really matter and the product will not stop irrespective of money came in through the investors or not because like we knew what we were like building out. We knew people were using the product. We knew what to build next. We had a roadmap and it didn't require tremendous amounts of funding for what we wanted to do. And and we know that before we were really close to running out of money with several times at Golori. I had ended up putting like a seven figure check amount like in, in my own company to keep it going. And so... I knew that like we can run without money, like we've seen shit. So it wasn't really that we weren't really scared of anything. And so I think the product was just working. The product gives you a lot of confidence when you know your market. Yeah.
1: No, those are two things to really hone in on is like your fundraising confidence goes up if you know your shit Yeah, and you have leverage because your downside is that you and your co-founders are still going to grind no matter what. Yeah. No matter what happens. And so I think that just comes out systematically. Like if you look desperate and you seem desperate. And so I think you did a good job there. Congrats on the 8.3 mil YC Draper Bayhouse, handful of notable angels. Sanjay, leave the listeners and viewers with what does the next 12 months
0: look like? What does the next 10 years look like? Yeah, I think 10 years, I think We often say that we want to increase the GDP of the physical world, much like Stripe does as for internet, not to copycat. But I actually fundamentally believe that land was probably one of the first social contracts between a human and a government. And it was one of the first assets probably by recognized by humanity. And for a lot of people outside of U.S. and emerging like developing uh, developed countries, real estate is sustenance for them. And it's prosperity for people at the top. It's equally sig- equally significant. Imagine a woman in sub-Saharan Africa that has a shop for 20 years that she's been doing a business on, but the title is unclear. So now she's not able to take it to the bank, mortgage it, upskill herself or educate her son because she can't get a loan and the title isn't clear. And a lot of countries around the world are like this. Like I said, two thirds of all court cases in India deal with land related disputes. And 84% of household wealth in India is on land, property, and real estate versus 41% in U.S. So this is a significant asset class. If I'm able to make a 5% change, then it's well worth having lived and worked on it. In terms of the next 12 months, we want to cover entire India. There's about three states missing. We're ahead of the target in that. Whichever state in India, we'd like to help you pull up documents for you. And then hopefully in the next 12 months, there's a, three countries we're talking with. We'd like to do this in one more country outside of India as well. Awesome. I,
1: Sanjay, the future is bright for Landeed. And I think that your story is extraordinarily compelling. Despite the privilege, you've done an extraordinarily job of continuing to grind and be excellent. And so thanks for coming on the show. And if people wanna find out more about Landeed, they can hit up the website, landeed.com. Hiring for roles, potentially become a customer, and sanjay thanks again
0: for joining thanks john thanks for having me.